my pleasure to have you here with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. In today's Clark Rageous Moment, I have a new warning for you about the way you're getting ripped off by potentially your friendly banker or insurance agent. I'll tell you what you need to look out for, what you need to know. And coming up yet later, when you do a home renovation, which so many people are choosing to stay and renovate instead of move to another home because they're locked in really low mortgage rates, I want to tell you some things you need to do to make sure you protect yourself through the renovation process so it's a happy thing instead of one that makes your wallet poorer and your house not better. So I talked recently on the show about a buying service called Zebit, Z-E-B-I-T. And I talked about my unhappiness with Zebit as an outlet that promotes 0% interest on purchases you make from them. But my feeling is that they're not clear with what the ultimate price is going to be till late in the process. And the prices for so many of their items are way above street price, which you might pay somewhere else. So 0% interest isn't really 0% interest. The Zebit folks have been unhappy with how I characterize their business and feel like I casted an unfair light. And so now we have Steve Lappin with us, who's the CFO of Zebit. And it's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. I'm happy that we have an opportunity to uh, to speak with you and, and clear up some of the differences. So, Steve, I laid it out pretty much uh, an abbreviated version of what I said when I talked about Zebit the other day. So go back in history and explain why this business exists and where you feel you're doing a good thing, not a bad thing for people. Sure. So you know, the business exists to give the 80% of Americans who are living paycheck to paycheck an opportunity to be able to afford the goods and services that they need for their daily lives and to do so at a very transparent process in a fair, uh, in a fair deal with, with no gotchas, no hidden fees. So you know, what the consumer sees is the price is what the consumer gets uh, and, and never anything punitive uh, to harm the consumer. So you say that, but do you disagree with my uh, characterization that the prices are generally marked up above normal price? Yeah, so I want to clarify a couple things, right? So you, you, you mentioned yesterday that we, we only show the sort of payment that is due today, but we don't show the full price, which is, which is inaccurate. So we always show the full price. We show the full price at the browsing page. We show the full price in the cart. We, we, we never try to hide the full price because we, we want the consumer to be able to see exactly what they're going to owe over time. We want it to be very transparent. So it's always front and center. Uh, additionally, when the consumer goes to look at a product, we never obfuscate a skew, and we also do that intentionally to allow our customers to price shop if they wish to do so. Right? We we want to put on as many skews as possible. We want to give the customer choice and access. We're not here to be a nanny state. We're not here to tell the customer what they can and cannot purchase. Right? So so we want them to know what what they're getting into. Um, the, the the next thing to talk about there is. So, yes, there are certain SKUs that we have that are, you know, above where you might buy it at a Best Buy or at an Amazon. 
but we we are primarily slightly higher on price in low margin products like electronics. Right, electronics, which can be typically a loss leader for an Amazon or a Best Buy, where they're looking for someone to buy ancillary products uh, to go along with the TV, which are higher margin. We could be sort of five to twenty percent higher than what you would see in the store. Now, with that said. Um, 60, more than 60% of our portfolio today is at or below market price. So the vast majority of our products are, are, are at the same price you would buy or below the same price where you would buy it at a Best Buy or an Amazon or another big box store. We price all of the SKUs on our portfolio every two weeks, and we scrape those SKUs online through all of the big-name retailers, and we ensure that you know if we if we can't price it to something that we believe is fair, we won't have the skew on on the site. And your target uh, last, customer is uh, your target customer is someone who maybe doesn't have the best credit, and you're using an alternative uh, math formula, an alternative algori- algorithm to decide whether or not to grant this zero percent interest credit. Is that right? Right. So our, our core customer today is a is a sub five fifty FICO score individual. So someone who's traditionally very deep sub credit, uh, people who who either don't have access to traditional bank credit or the access that they do get is through sort of very predatory type loans or credit cards that are fee harvester, um, which end up costing the consumer significantly more and potentially harming their credit long term. So there are two things I wanted to address with you, and I appreciate what you said, that sometimes the prices will be higher by your telling, sometimes they'll be lower than street price. But you emphasized yourself that just as I always complain about with people with Amazon who go to Amazon, don't comparison shop, just click to purchase, you encourage potential shoppers with you to shop around and see if it really is a reasonable price. Sure. We, we, we want the consumer to be happy, right? This, this company is built on, on brand and transparency, and, and we succeed when the customer is happy. So ultimately, you know, we, we want the customer to know the deal that they're signing up for. We, we want the customer to know that we're, we're here to grow with them, right? We grow their credit line over time when they exhibit positive retaining behavior. And we, we want them to know that, you know, this can be a great alternative for them and, and better than, than what the other alternatives may be. So when you're lending to people with credit scores below 550, you're going to have a higher default rate than normal, probably somewhere maybe uh, 15, 20%, I would guess, of people would default. What happens then to the consumer? Sure. So I, I want to clarify that we are not a lender. So it's just important to note so we don't confuse a consumer thinking they can come to us and get cash. It's, it's not how it works. And we are extending store credit to a consumer in the, in the, in, in, to allow them to, to access the goods and buy, this, buy the goods that they need. As far as when a consumer defaults, right, so we don't have any insufficient funds fees or overdraft fees like most other lenders. There are no late fees or penalty fees like you would get with a credit card. There's no membership fees like you would get with a credit card. And we do all of our sort of collections in-house. And when a consumer uh, repays, they're able to get access back to a debit line again to be able to purchase goods. And if somebody just defaults on you and walks away, do you then turn them over to a third-party collection agency? We use, we use a, a very high-touch email-based third-party collections agency. Um, however, we try to do all of our collections in-house. And the collections agency that we do use is you know, aligned with our mission 
um, and is using you know the, the sort of light touch soft language that we wish to use. And there's there's no security interest in the product. We're not chasing people down. We're not repossessing the product. When they buy it from us, they own the product. Well, Steve, I want to thank you very much. Steve Lappin, CFO of Zebit. I want to thank you for your openness and for joining us on the Clark Howard Show. And I appreciate the opportunity for you to have your opportunity to speak. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. So um, there you have it. I, I have to say something. Steve referred to the nanny state issue, which is they don't decide is it really a good idea for you to buy a new TV or a new game machine or whatever. But I would say this. It's why I've always loved layaway. If you've been living um, paycheck to paycheck, taking on another obligation, particularly for something that is a lifestyle item, makes me very nervous. And I so prefer layaway where you pay so much in every week or whenever you can afford to put money on layaway, which is offered generally in the fall each year tied in with Christmas, that then once you have fully come up with the money for an item, you walk away with it and you own it free and clear and you never have to worry about an obligation going forward with it. I know a lot of people want the item right then and there and that's the marketplace that someone like Zebit is serving. Michael is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Michael. Hi, good afternoon. So, Michael, you're moving far, far away to where? <laughs> We're looking at teaching English overseas. Wow. My wife's an educator. Yes. And you live right now in the only state I've never been to of the 50. Okay. Well, you ought to come to North Dakota. I know, I know. Of year, of course. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I got to tell you, there was a mistake I made about uh, 25 years ago. I was 10 minutes from the North Dakota border and didn't go. And, I mean, what a mistake I made. I would have had all yeah, 50. Yeah, I think everyone has to come to North Dakota. Well, and the part of North Dakota I want to visit is western North Dakota, where the Badlands extend up, and uh, it's yes. supposed to be such a beautiful area. And North Dakotans say it's more beautiful than the Badlands in South Dakota. Yeah, the North Dakota Badlands are amazing. We have a lot of horizon here as well. Um, so, the, big the beauty sky. of North Dakota is, is nuanced. Yeah, see, everybody talks about Montana being big sky country, but you got it too. So where in the world are you going to move? So we're looking at a lot of different options. I can work remotely, and my wife has a a great interest in travel and um, teaching English as a second language, which is something that we've done together in the past. And we found that that affords a really nice um, lifestyle um, experience-wise and also allows a person to save some money. So for us, it's a, a good decision, and we're trying to get back to that. Um, we recently purchased a home, and we're trying to decide what to do with it. Wow. Do you have uh, really good friends, like really reliable, dependable friends where you are in North Dakota, or family that you can really trust where you are? We certainly do. So I would say well, don't expect charity from anybody but i would um see who you think you could really trust to do this that you would pay them a commission of every month's rent to manage the property for you while you're overseas for an undetermined number of years but if you can't find someone 
if among family or friends that you really feel confident would not let you down, would really handle it well, I think you sell sure. it. Okay. And as far as what you would normally commission them, the standard would be that you'd pay them typically 10% of the rent for managing 10%. the property for you. Okay. What do you think? Do you, are you running through your head who you feel like would be the right candidate? Well, you know, I think we can find that person. And this is this is probably a, a simple real estate question for a lot of your her, your listeners who are really keen on this kind of thing. But we're kind of looking at it from a dollar's perspective. Would we make more money in the long run if we were able to rent this and, you know, trust that someone's watching it? Or should we just get out now while we're ahead? I know with renting properties, there's a lot of upkeep and uh, maintenance type things that become an issue. All right. Well, let's get to the dollars and cents that I would normally ask somebody who didn't have the unusual situation you and your wife have. And it revolves around this. Have you, from the point at which you bought the property, at least on paper, ended up with a big gain in the value of the home? I would say that with our renovations, the home value has appreciated uh, maybe about 25%. All right. 20%. And those renovations, the cost of those adjust your basis. So you're not uh, vulnerable to tax on on the amount between what you paid and what it would be worth now. It's what you paid for the property plus the cost of the renovations versus what it would be now. So it's not a giving in thousands of dollars how much you would guess you have in gain. About 25000 Okay. So then you don't have to make a decision on the issue of taxation, because there's an advantage to selling a property um, when you are owner-occupied versus when it becomes a rental property, but 25 grand is not enough to be a tipping point to make a decision. So then the next part of the decision is simply this, how much rent do you think you can get per month versus what your costs are for having the property, for the mortgage, taxes, insurance, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I think it would cash flow probably by about 20%. And in dollars, how much would that be? Probably about three to $400. A month? Yes. Oh, that then that would be a fine rental property. Because even when you absorb the cost of having it managed, if you want to keep it and maybe move back to it someday or sometime way off in the future, you want to manage it yourself or sell it, I think it would be worth a stab at it to keep it if you're that much cash flow positive from the very beginning. Today's Clark Rageous moment is a special warning that's complicated. It involves some of the nation's banks and some insurance companies, some cases brokerage operations, that have all had to pay restitution to customers. The largest restitution of all just announced is by Wells Fargo for cheating its customers on the sale of mutual funds. So just so you know, if you go to a full commission stockbroker, you go to a bank's uh, investment selling operation, you go to an insurance company selling you investments, and they put you in a mutual fund. The mutual fund companies make available to the high commission places different classes of shares of the same mutual fund. And They do this so that if the bank, in the case of Wells Fargo here, the insurance companies, whatever, if they want to get kickbacks for putting you in the investment, 
you were then put into a much more expensive mutual fund, even at the same name of, the, of a mutual fund that charges much lower expenses, so there's money for the kickbacks. The companies are not being forced to pay fines. They're only being forced to pay back the money, basically, they stole from you as a customer in kickbacks. It is yet another example and warning why I want you to not buy investments anywhere but from a fiduciary, someone who only puts your interests legally first, or from a discount broker or a low-cost mutual fund company, people like Schwab, Vanguard, Fidelity, end of story. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where you're empowered with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. I'm talk about something that is a trend across the United States. A huge percent of people who would have, because of lifestyle changes, having kids, not having kids anymore, becoming empty nesters, whatever, historically, people would sell their homes, if they owned a home, and move on. Move to a bigger home, smaller home, move to a condominium, move to a townhouse, whatever. But the transient nature of homeowners has changed. And the amount of time that people stay in a dwelling has increased. We were very unusual compared to other developed countries, where in most developed countries, when people buy a home, they stay in that home. That's it. That's their lifetime home or maybe even multi-generational of lifetime homes in the family. In the United States, for so much of our history, particularly starting in uh, the late 40s forward, up till about a decade ago, people in America had itchy feet and would routinely go into what was referred to as the move-up market. You might buy your first home or what was sometimes referred to as a starter home and go to the next one, next one, next one as your personal circumstances and family life changed. Well, people just aren't doing that. And one of the principal reasons came about a decade ago, and that was after the banking scandals and the resulting uh, real estate crash in the United States, the foreclosures and all that the Federal Reserve went through a lengthy period of artificially depressing interest rates in the United States, including interest rates that usually they wouldn't have an effect on necessarily mortgage rates. So massive numbers of people have mortgage rates unprecedented pretty much in U.S. history. And I talked to so many people who uh, got a house in uh, the last, uh, let's say, 09, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, who have a mortgage interest rate in the twos or threes. Those rates are so fantastic and translate into a monthly payment that's great. Plus, the home that they're in, if they bought it in the midst of the bust, has likely gone up substantially in value. And that has led to something that I read occasionally in the financial press, but is not caught on as a term, housing lock, where people stay in place because financially it's too difficult or too costly to move somewhere else. So one of the results of this is people are more likely to add on to a house 
or renovate a house or improve a house. They might add an outdoor kitchen or may add um, a swimming pool or may add uh, redo the kitchen or redo the bathrooms or add a new master on. Things that in the past happened but not nearly in the numbers happening now is people would say, well, I want a new, new fancier place. So they just sell that one and move to the new fancier place. But because you'd have the higher interest rates and all that, people are staying. So that makes this really significant. There was a survey done by one poll that surveyed 2,000 homeowners. That's enough to get some meaningful data. And the stunner is how many people who had a renovation done by their own telling in the survey say they got scammed. And it's right at half of homeowners who did a renovation or quote-unquote improvement to their home. Half. So that is an ugly number. Now, some of what people are categorizing as scams, I would pull back a hair and refer to as ripoffs. Because some of the things that people are getting hosed on when they're doing a renovation to a home are just where they got a bad deal or substandard work and doesn't really rise to the level of a scam. But you feel scammed because you paid your hard-earned money or borrowed money you're going to have to pay back with hard-earned money to do this thing to improve your home that instead took pleasure away from you, caused agony emotionally or in your wallet. And this is a real problem. In fact, this is even more shocking. More than a majority of people say that they have unfinished home renovation work in their house. And since that number is higher than the number who said to pollsters they'd been scammed in a home renovation, it means that a lot of people may have bit off more than they could chew, couldn't afford to finish a job. The job ended up being more expensive than they expected. And so I want to give you some basic guidance, and I have much more specific guidance at Clark.com, the things that you need to be about. Number one, be careful with the scope of work. Be very specific what you want done at your home. If there are specific levels of materials and uh, companies you want materials from, you need to state that. The more specific you are, the more you're going to eliminate fly-by-nighters and you're going to get more realistic pricing up front. Be very, very clear in writing what it is you want done. Not just say, hey, we thought we'd like to raise the ceiling in here and do blah, blah, blah. No, it needs to be very, very specific. But don't try to do too large a renovation. Do things in baby steps. Don't decide you're going to redo Um, the bathrooms and the kitchen and add on a new whatever all at the same time. I promise you, you will be broke and miserable simultaneously. Take it on in little pieces. See if you really are a good candidate for doing a renovation. And as to hiring a contractor, I don't have perfect answers for that, but I have protocols you should follow in my explanation at Clark.com. I want you to remember this. When you hire a contractor to do a renovation or addition to your home, you are marrying that contractor, just like you marry a spouse. And just as it's much easier to get into that marriage than to get out, the same is true with a contractor. You don't want to be in a mess. 
And that's why you need to follow really good steps in planning your job and screening who you're going to hire before you later regret it. Michael is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Michael. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Michael. How can I serve you? Uh, Clark, I am curious about the Acorn app. Oh, Acorns is a really neat thing. Okay. Have you tried it yet? Uh, I actually started signing up for it two days ago, but I was a little leery, and I was like, let me ask Clark. Yeah, so it's completely on the up and up. You pay a dollar a month to do your investing through them, and now they have the ability for you to have a checking account tied in with them as well. And yeah, it starts... What's that? That's the way that I will go. Okay. Uh, so what they have done is they've steadily become more sophisticated. They've expanded what they do. And when it first started out, the idea was there are so many people who've never really gotten into saving or investing. And they just right. live month to month or check to check trying to get by. And so the idea of Acorns and its competitor Stash is they um, get you at least to start with your spare change. And over time, you can build up, surprisingly, a significant amount of money. They've morphed more into trying to get you to regularly, routinely put money in and have your money grow. They offer a very low-cost platform to be able to do it. And I have, to my knowledge, I cannot remember ever having a complaint about any of these apps, including Acorn's competitors. I think it's great. Have you ever been a saver or investor? No. So this is a wonderful place to start. You do it in baby steps. And I get so excited when somebody tells me how much money they have saved and Acorns are one of their competitors' apps. And it's just such a surprise to them to have thousands of dollars saved and or invested in not that much time just from little teensy changes in lifestyle. So I feel fine with you taking a shot at it, Michael. Bob is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Bob. How are you doing? I am well. It's a pleasure to talk to you, sir. So you are a fellow Tesla driver. Yes, sir. And how have you liked driving a Tesla? Uh, it has been a very, very nice vehicle. I am uh, quite happy with it. There's a but the, with that, isn't there? Uh, yes, sir, there is. Uh, I'm leasing the vehicle, and uh, I have a three-year lease on it. At the time I initiated the lease, I bought pretty much everything that was available on the car, that included the autopilot package as well as the full self-driving capability package. Uh, the autopilot has been incrementally getting better, but the full self-driving capability appears to be nowhere on the horizon. It's still and, a comic book thing. And when my lease is up at the end of this year, I'm curious as my suggestion is for the money I put out for that functionality that uh, apparently may not be to fruition. Yeah. So this is something that, if I recall, Tesla's already been sued over. 
And it is something that you have been taken advantage of. You paid how many thousands of extra was it for the um, the full automation that hasn't happened? Uh, $3,000. $3,000 is a lot of money to go up and smoke for something that never actually happened. And it was promised but didn't didn't happen. So have you asked Tesla what they're going to do about the portion of your lease payments that went to $3,000 of nothing. I have been to a number of the sales representatives at different Tesla dealerships and have gotten different answers depending on who I talk to, but none of them seem uh, able to give me an, an absolute answer. And they tend to sidestep the, uh, the question altogether. Well, it, it's uncool at the least. And almost certainly a contract violation without even breaking a sweat. So my reading of this from, I've read a lot about the promises with full autonomous driving versus what's happened and the money people have laid out. I would request in writing a refund of the $3,000 and it would not be a full refund because in a lease, it just the lease was based on the cost of money was based on that being part of it but whatever portion that would represent it is reasonable for you to ask for a refund of that now they may ignore it or they may send you a blow-off letter very much like the double talk you've gotten from the tesla salespeople. Uh, then if you are of a mind to pursue it i would look online and see if you can find one of the lawyers who's been going after tesla on this one issue and see if you can join either an existing lawsuit or if the lawyer's interested in filing one on your behalf. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Dan is with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Dan, apparently I gave you something that feels like a real bum steer to you. Fill me in. Okay, Clark. Uh, hi, I'm a big fan. Uh, I, a few years ago, I heard you talking about insurance companies, how they don't value longtime customers. They think of longtime customers as averse to change and content where they are. And so premiums can be increased on, pe- increased on people who won't react to price increases. So in early 2017, my premiums jumped higher than in previous years. I took your advice and switched my car, house, and mom's condo over to a company that you recommend. Go ahead and name them. Amica. Okay. Due to the switch, my premiums went down by $230, and I thought, this is great. But in the last two years, my premiums have jumped by 20%, meaning 10% a year. 
Uh, my thinking is we've had relatively low inflation recently. Uh, my 12-year-old car is only getting older. Uh, there haven't been no additions or improvements to my house or to my mom's condo in the last two years. And so I'm thinking isn't a 10% per year increase kind of high? And I'm left wondering if I was offered lower premiums to start with the intent to raise them later. It's interesting you say that and. I'm glad I had you name Amica because I didn't know who the insurer was yet. Um, Amica is a co-op. You know, it's a mutual. And usually with Amica, it's the first year that is more expensive because you have to buy into the co-op at first. And then going forward, what you end up paying is based on their exact um, experience with claims and making sure they have adequate reserves going forward. So it means that Amica must have experienced larger claims than they expected. They're, because they're not owned by stockholders, they're not in that business of running loyalty index scores on you and trying to figure out how to take advantage of you, because you are it. You know, Once you joined Amica, you became one of the owners. Have you asked them why you're seeing these massive price increases. No, I haven't. Um, I did a little uh, research, and I, I looked at my premiums over the five years prior to switching to Amica, and um, collectively I went from about $2,085 to 2800 between 2012 and 2016. That's a 40% <laughs> increase over those yeah. years. Close to that, close to 40% over five years. Okay. Now with Amica, in two years, I've gone up 20%. Um, so I, I haven't called them yet. Um, I did look at my coverage, and I can tell you that um, the condo and the car coverage, the limits are identical for the last two years. But my house, uh, where I live, went up. It went from 271K in the first year to 285k in the second year to 305. Oh, so they're saying the cost of rebuilding it keeps going up. That's what they're saying. Uh, so let me say this to you. Uh, Amica is, again, because it's a completely different culture than you're used to an insurer, I would call them and talk with an underwriter and say, what's going on here? I'm feeling like um, maybe I made a mistake that I'm seeing these big increases. And, and they're not going to lie to you. I mean, you, you, they work for you. And if they can't give you an answer that makes you happy, go shop your coverages again with somebody else, and maybe you give Amika the heave-ho. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.